Hey, everybody. It's Amber. I want to tell you real quick about the Sherman Prize. The Sherman Prize is an award created by Bruce and Cynthia Sherman to recognize those who are making great contributions to the field of research and care in inflammatory bowel disease. The Sherman family has been touched by IBD, and their goal is to create a ripple effect that spreads awareness, fosters innovation, and provides inspiration in the hope that in the future, other families won't have to contend with IBD in the way that theirs has. Every year, the Sherman Prize honors three people who go above and beyond to contribute to the IBD community by generating positive benefits on behalf of patients, their families and caregivers, and the future trajectory of the field. Winners receive national recognition and a financial prize, and a short video highlighting his or her achievements is produced and distributed. Nominees can be IBD clinicians, surgeons, researchers, or academics who are making exceptional contributions to transforming IBD care. What's more, anyone can make a nomination for the prize. This year, in 2022, the nominations close on June 8th, so if there's someone you would like to nominate, go to shermanprize.org to learn more and to submit a nomination. Once more, that's shermanprize.org. I'm Amber Tresca, and this is about IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 117. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Inflammatory bowel disease affects the whole person. These diseases and their treatments cause other issues in our bodies. And one potential way of treating some of these problems is with physical therapy. I thought about physical therapy based on the way that I have engaged with it in my life, such as when I dislocated my knee or when I broke my foot. But there is so much more help available for people who live with IBD. A physical therapist can help us undo some of the damage that's being done because we're doubled over in pain or because we've been inactive due to a flare-up. To learn more, I connected with Nancy Coulinan, who is a board-certified women's health clinical specialist at Overlake Hospital and Clinics Outpatient Rehab in Washington State and Christine Morgan, who is a board-certified sports clinical specialist and the director of clinical education at the Florida Southern College School of Physical Therapy. They describe the ways in which a physical therapist can help with some of the issues that crop up with IBD and how you can find a physical therapist to help you. Nancy and Christy, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Our topic today is physical therapy and IBD. I'm super excited to learn more about this topic because it is something that I don't know much about myself, and I'm really looking forward to picking both of your brains. So let's get started, though, with some introductions so that everyone understands who you are. So I wonder, Nancy, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have been a physical therapist for 30 years, and the wonderful thing about this profession is that you can jump around in a lot of different specialty areas. So I started out in acute care, and then I worked in stroke rehab for a while, and I worked in pediatrics for a while, and then I jumped to orthopedics where I stayed for kind of a long time. And because my hands were getting sore from all the manual therapy and orthopedics, I decided to take a was then called Women's Health uh, Course. Now it's called Pelvic Health. And I found my calling. So I have been a pelvic health therapist for about the last 20 years and uh, work in, a, in an urban setting uh, in that specialty. There's six of us. It's a pretty large setting. And then I am embedded in the urogynecology department one day a week. 
Okay, great. Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes. So I am also a physical therapist for a little over 11 years, uh, and I am a board-certified clinical specialist in sports physical therapy. I worked most of my career uh, for UF Health in Gainesville, and I used to be in charge of a running medicine clinic, Uh, but I transitioned into education about eight years ago, and now I'm currently the director of clinical education and an assistant professor at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, And although I mostly saw the sports population, I was involved uh, with many therapists who uh, treated pelvic conditions. And so I've also taken an interest in working on the orthopedic side of those who also have pelvic issues, Uh, because I'm sure Nancy will get into much more detail, but the pelvic floor is made of muscles. And so it does affect those who have pelvic or abdominal issues as well. Makes perfect sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I want to understand first, though, is how physical therapy can relate to IBD, the symptoms of IBD, the extraintestinal manifestations of IBD, which my brain immediately goes to one of the big ones, which is arthritis, but I'm sure that there are plenty of others that PT can address. Christy, what are the type of things that PT can help with in terms of IBD symptoms and extraintestinal manifestations? Absolutely. So again, the extraintestinal manifestations really meaning anything outside of the GI system. So you hit it on the head. I mean, one of the big ones we would work with would be more arthritic symptoms, as well as a lot of patients who have Crohn's or colitis may end up developing ankylosing spondylitis. So physical therapists are often involved with treatment of that as well. And then as many also know, those with IBD can develop osteoporosis or osteopenia, particularly if they've had long-term steroid use. And then they might develop compensatory postures, meaning they kind of get into that curled position that we often see just from being in a lot of abdominal pain. So physical therapy can help with a lot of those conditions uh, just by doing different treatments for musculoskeletal or neuromuscular issues related to those. We also can treat just general chronic pain from systemic inflammation, uh, and as well as just screening for other red flag conditions that can often be seen with IBD and making sure to either rule out or refer back to a physician. And that could be conditions like thromboembolisms, skin cancer, or pulmonary disease. So you see a lot of people who have chronic abdominal pain because of their IBD, and then they seek out physical therapy in order to deal with what that has then done to their back and, and their spine. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's why that's wild. Like that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense. Like I understand. So Nancy, you might see more of pelvic floor issues. So what are some of the extra intestinal manifestations or the, or the IBD symptoms to where uh, physical therapy might help in the pelvic floor area? Yeah, most of the patients that, that I see, have, well, in the bowel realm have either fecal incontinence, fecal urgency, pain, pelvic pain, abdominal pain, um, sometimes orthopedic pain kind of overlaps and we have to sort of peel the layers of the onion off and figure out where those different pains are coming from, constipation, um, and then frequently uh, with people with IBD, uh, the term dysenergia or tenismus might be another term that you hear uh, used for that. And it is it means that when the person thinks they're 
pushing and lengthening their pelvic floor muscles, which is what you have to do to have a bowel movement, they're doing the opposite and they're shortening and pulling it up and you don't know you're doing it. And as you can imagine, <laughs> without getting too graphic, um, it makes for a lot of difficulty emptying. There will also very often at times be other other kinds of things that go with it that patients didn't connect. So your pelvic floor is responsible for your urinary system, your bowel system, your sexual function, and for holding up all those pelvic organs. So people might also have bladder, some bladder issues, some uh, prolapse of their pelvic organs. So your bladder, your uterus, your, your bowel. And then like we started out this question, abdominal pain, back pain, it can really blend together. And, and really, we do have the skills to tease out the etiology of where those pains are coming from. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing, because when someone asks you where your pain is coming from, and you just feel like, well, it's everywhere. It's all on my, it's, you know, it's all over my abdomen. It's all over my back and trying to describe it can be, can be really difficult. So how do you help someone understand like where exactly their pain is coming from? Let's say for in the orthopedic world, we will put that person through a series of tests and, and joints and muscles have places that they commonly refer to. And likewise in your pelvic floor, that musculature has places that it very commonly refers to. And so lots of times referred pain that's coming from pelvic floor muscles itself will go into the, um, the lower abdomen um, on the sides. Um, we'll figure that all out by doing an examination that entails the, all of it. So the pelvic floor, the spine, the hips, the sacrum, everything, everything in the neighborhood to tease out where things are coming from. And then I would say orthopedic pain has a certain quality, whereas pain coming from your viscera or your organs has a whole different quality to it. So a lot of it is listening to the person's story and when does your pain happen and what makes it better and what makes it worse. And it's putting all those pieces of the puzzle together that help us drill down what's happening. Mm -hmm. Can you just describe briefly, though, what do you mean by referred pain? What does that mean? So, for example, um, a person might have some hip joint pathology and go to their doctor and complain of pain in the knee. And so the doctor will do a thorough hip exam, but they also want to rule out joints above and below. And this is just kind of standard musculoskeletal medicine. And lo and behold, you determine there's nothing abnormal about that knee exam. That pain's, but, but I can reproduce that pain when I put the person through the hip exam so they can figure out that it's coming from the hip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's where it gets really tricky, right? To understand mm -hmm. where, where your pain is coming from. Yeah. And, and I, get, I guess I would also say pain from inflammation when the person is just in a crazy flare. You know, a lot of those differential diagnostic tests will be relatively meaningless because it nothing makes it better. Nothing makes it worse. Um, this person is not going to benefit so much from, from PT in that, in that regard. Maybe there's some things we can do for that person to help with pain control. But in terms of, you know, addressing the source, it's, you know, that's the GI's realm.
what are the ways that people with IBD can be helped by physical therapy? Because I feel like patients may not be connecting the dots on that. They may be like me and they immediately think of arthritis and that maybe that's the only time that they would need physical therapy, but that's not true. Absolutely. Yes. So, and there are lots of things that can be done for those more joint pain type situations and uh, can be more involved than I think what people typically think of when they think of physical therapy. The traditional route would be to do therapeutic exercise manual therapy, which that might include soft tissue massage. It might include joint mobilizations to help improve motion in the joint and uh, help with pain alleviation. It could be teaching different stretches. Uh, And then there's also something we do called neuromuscular training, which is retraining the muscles when they should be firing. Mm. When referring back to when we talked about compensatory postures, a lot of times it's it's retraining the muscles what they need to be doing in order Mm -hmm. to be in the best position possible. We also use lots of different modalities. You know, most people, when they think of PT, they think of heat heat packs or ice packs, uh, electrical Mm -hmm. stimulation or ultrasound. Mm -hmm. A lot of PTs nowadays are getting certified in dry needling, which is very similar to acupuncture, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not based around the science of meridians, uh, but it's used to, to relieve muscle trigger points. Uh, And then there's also traction that can be used in cases like neck or low back pain. And then just functional training to help get back to either just domestic tasks or self-care if that's become difficult because of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Additionally, when we're talking about things like osteoporosis or sarcopenia, which means that the muscles have kind of been wasting away and just general weakness, you know, we'll do a lot of focus strengthening exercises, as well as working on balance to make sure that there's not an increased risk of falls. Because as you can imagine, if you fall and your bones are weak, you're much more likely to have a fracture. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot that we can do for just general fatigue and chronic pain management. And this is an area being in education now has really evolved in the last 10 years. Uh, But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that now physical therapy is a doctoral level degree. And a lot of what we're taught to do is this differential diagnosis that Nancy was speaking of. Um, And and to really know when it's something we can treat versus something that needs to be seen by somebody else. And we're Mm -hmm. also teaching them who they need to refer to based on what the issue is. But when it comes to chronic pain, A lot of it is going to be knowing what community resources are available and helping to direct the patient to the correct community resource. That might be psychology. That might be support groups. It might be meditation or mindfulness. uh, And it might be finding support for families or friends or caregivers as well. Uh, We help with goal setting for what would be reasonable pain management Again, uh, we're not GIs. We don't do medication. So to say that we would completely alleviate someone's pain wouldn't be reasonable. But we can talk about what is reasonable and kind of just help to reframe what expectations can be. A lot of times it involves graded exposure to exercise. So if someone, again, has been in a bad flare and they're used to just laying on the couch or in the bed in a fetal position... It's painful to get out of that position and it takes Mm -hmm. time. And so it's assisting just with that process. Some PTs actually specialize in aquatic physical therapy, and that can be a great place for patients to start too. 
you know, it's usually warmer water and it's just going through some gentle movements to get moving again. PTs can also do sensory desensitization techniques. So again, when, when you're used to being really sensitive to pain all the time, it's about managing getting out of that and then just other general pain neuroscience education. So just teaching the patients, you know, what to expect, what is your brain has just gotten really sensitive to anything you do hurts, but it's not actually hurting. And so we mm -hmm. need to retrain your brain that what you're doing isn't going to make you worse. And then we also help just by teaching to keep different logs and diaries as far as sleep hygiene energy level and activity pacing or aerobic exercise, and then a lot of focus on breathing and relaxation exercises and just general coping skills. Mm -hmm. This is going far beyond, I think, I'm, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, it goes far <laughs> beyond what people think of as physical therapy. I mean, when exactly. I went to physical therapy, it was because, oh, I hurt my knee. And right. so, you know, she taught me the exercises to get it straightened out. And then she gave me a nice right. massage, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was fantastic, yeah. but, but this is, you know, far beyond any of right. that. So. Right. And it, you know, it, it's just like anything else. I used to be a foot and ankle specialist. I didn't spend as much time on those chronic pain issues if mm -hmm. someone came to see me for an ankle sprain. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if they, if they fractured their ankle and they had been either non-weight-bearing or in a cast for three months and there were complications, then yeah, you have to add a lot of this in. And so that's the case too. If you're dealing with an autoimmune disease, you have to treat it differently than you would if it was just a trauma or a simple injury. Right, right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And a major goal for a lot of this type of treatment isn't to stay in physical therapy forever. Mm -hmm. It is to teach the patient how to become independent and how to manage uh, mostly independently. A lot of people who are in PT for chronic pain do end up coming back. That's expected. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the goal is really to give tools that the patient can use on their own. Mm-hmm. Until they need to come back for a touch-up for whatever reason. Right, exactly. Yep, a tune-up. Okay. Mm -hmm. A tune-up, yeah, that's yep. right. <laughs> so Nancy, how about in the pelvic floor realm? What are the ways that people with IBD can be helped? You touched on this a little bit. IBD, we think of a lot of times diarrhea, but there can also be constipation issues, right? Absolutely. And, you know, all the, all the interventions that Christy just rattled off, you know, we're using a lot of those same things in the pelvic floor realm. It maybe just looks different because it's the pelvic floor. Patients will often say, you know, how is it that I can have constipation and diarrhea at the same time? And, you know, the job of your colon is to just keep sucking the water, you know, sucking the water out and making what came in as slush into a, a harder um, form so that you can get it out. And so when people have a hard time fully evacuating. Um, so they'll have some older stool in there that is harder and they'll, the new stool, sorry, this might be a little gross, but so the newer stool is softer. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'll show a picture of the Bristol stool chart and ask people and I'll give everybody their own Bristol stool chart and ask them, <laughs> um, you know, what does it look like? And some people are, well, it's everything. And when that's the mm -hmm. answer, I know that that person is doing some incomplete evacuating. And we need to get that person a combination of exercise and dietary kinds of things to get a uniform looking stool. And this is all best case scenario in, in, in reality, you know, 
as you all know, people with IBD, lots of times circumstances beyond their control hit hiccups and things are not making sense for a little while. But eventually, as the disease calms down, as long as they have the tools and know what they need to do to have optimum function of their bowel, um, they're just going to function better. So yeah, so people can have um, some fecal incontinence happening at the same time that they have some constipation. And I use the analogy of my with my biceps really often in clinic and say, so, you know, if my biceps is hanging out here in this really contracted short position, I'm not going to be able to lift very much weight, right? Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah. Um, and I go, well, you know, to have a bowel movement, you have to put your put your biceps down there with your straight elbow position. It's it's not the greatest system that we got, but it's the only one we got. So you have to be able to get that length position wise in order to fully evacuate your bowel. And if you're in this really short, overactive position right there, that's a barrier. Um, and when you hang out in that short, overactive position for a prolonged period of time, you lose your strength and you lose your, call it your fuel economy. So you're blowing through all your gasoline in that short, overactive position. And then when you really need it, like to evacuate your bowel, you don't have the strength to push it out. So, you know, people always come in and go, teach me how to do the kegels. And a lot of folks, it's, well, I need to teach you how to stop doing the kegel. <laughs> and then get, and then when you stop doing the kegel all the time, you're going to have better fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big, huge, that's a huge piece of what we do with our bowel patients, regardless of whether it's incontinence or urgency or um, some kind of pain syndrome. But, you know, we treat what we find. And sure, every now and again, the person just has, you know, the the lengthened bicep, the really really lengthened weak pelvic floor muscle, and they just need strengthening. But I would say that is way the anomaly. Most of the time, it's the overactive short muscle. And and that's just a much, that's a much harder thing to, to, it takes more time to treat that. I'm excited to tell you about my partnership with a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I know I have some vitamin deficiencies and I wanted something that my body could tolerate and absorb. I'm also really lazy and I wanted something that was easy for me to use. Now I've been using it for several weeks and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has kind of this mild tropical taste and I actually look forward to it every morning. I'm going back to traveling to conferences soon and I have some travel packs and they are super convenient. So... What is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. Plus, it's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It's also cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. And for every purchase, and I love this part, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the United States. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash IBDpod. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash IBDpod to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Nancy, this all sounds great. Listeners are right now saying, this sounds fantastic. Going to deal with some of my issues, um, some of my chronic pain, some of my fatigue, some of my going to the bathroom over and over again. Maybe we can uh, straighten some of that out. But what does that look like when a patient comes in to see you? Where do you start? And then how does treatment evolve over time? Um, You know, really don't think it looks a whole lot different in somebody with IBD initially. We're um, going to take your history and get the whole picture. Of course, if the person has IBD, that's in the back of my head. And, and it really also depends on where they are in their disease process at the moment. So, mm-hmm. for example, I can think of one person I had who came from her rheumatologist for fecal incontinence, a lady in her, older, in her late 60s with fecal incontinence, and she had a couple of other autoimmune things going on. And, you know, it was just really obvious to me she needed a GI workup. So I didn't treat her for very long, sent her back. It's a rheumatologist I work with quite a lot. I mean, it probably took her six months to get a diagnosis of Crohn's. Um, so yeah. I didn't do a tremendous amount with her in the beginning. But after it all got sorted out, she came back and we did the whole comprehensive treatment plan. On the other end of the spectrum, I have somebody on my caseload right now who has IBD that's never been all that severe. She's She controls it with salicylates. She's pregnant. Um, and her whole reason for being there with me right now is she cannot tolerate perineal massage in preparation for labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. That's what she wants to, she wants to have a, a, a non-instrumented birth. Her last one was a vacuum assist, and she had a lot of pelvic floor trauma from that. Yeah. Uh, and and she, she would like to avoid C-section. So our whole focus here in this beginning is on lengthening her pelvic floor and doing a lot of sensory kinds of things that Christy was alluding to earlier um, to try and, and change her brain that when she starts doing perineal massage or her spouse starts doing perineal massage for her in preparation for childbirth, she gets these kind of crazy symptoms and um, Mm -hmm. she just happens to have IBD. But we see a lot of people with those diagnoses. And so that's really our, our whole focus in the first four weeks that I'm seeing her and then we she has agreed she's going to come back postpartum and we'll deal with some of the other issues where our focus is just going to be labor and delivery. So it really depends on kind of what the person's goals are and where they're at in their disease process. Um, yeah, I think Nancy touched on something important too as a ortho sports therapist. The vast majority of people I saw who had IBD weren't necessarily coming to me for their IBD symptoms. Uh, They were sent for another issue and it Mm -hmm. happened to come up that they had IBD, but there's really important questions that need to be asked along with that as far as how their nutrition is, what kind of medications they're on and what kind of side effects are part of that. And I think because we have such large community resources too, we're really in a great place to be able to refer them to where they need to go. How can a person who lives with IBD talk to their team about getting a referral to a physical therapist or find a physical therapist, maybe even on their own if they can? Absolutely. 
so ideally, the patient with IBD would go to their gastroenterologist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they say, I heard this podcast <laughs> and I would like to try. <laughs> and then their gastro rolls his eyes right. and says, oh. yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I, and I know a lot of times, you know, their first goal, especially if there's arthritic symptoms, is just to send to rheumatology. Often rheumatology is going to try a different medication. So perhaps okay. we want to try a non-pharmacological approach. Uh, so in that case, you know, see if there is someone in the GI's health system who uh, does physical therapy. If that's not an option, in most states, but also depending on insurance, most people are going to be able to see physical therapists via direct access, uh, meaning that they do not have to have a referral. Mm -hmm. So again, you would need to check with your state and with your, your insurance company if that's something that would still be covered. But if you're, you know, if you're either looking for direct access or if your GI is happy to write you a script for PT but doesn't know who to send you to. Uh, if you're looking for a pelvic therapist, because that is a specialty area, uh, there's two different ways to look. You can look either on the American Physical Therapy Pelvic Health Academy's website or the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute. Both of those have a find a PT function uh, that you can search by zip code. And I believe we can get both of those links in the episode notes. Uh, And then if it's not for pelvic symptoms, but more of that arthritic symptoms or concerns about osteoporosis or just the chronic pain management, uh, you can look on the American Physical Therapy Association's website, which is choosept.com, and you can pick whatever ailment you would like. Uh, You can search for aquatic therapists. You can search for orthopedic therapists. So there's lots of different things you can look for on that website as well. I think word of mouth is a big deal too. I think if you belong to a local IBD support group, um, you know, just picking the brains of other people who are there is helpful. Mm -hmm. And and just know that federal payers, Medicare and Medicaid re- do require a physician referral. It can yes. come from any physician. Yes. That's super important to know. Thank you so much for that. And now I don't like to put everything on patients. So right. I like to put some of this back on our gastroenterologists or our rheumatologists. So mm-hmm. what do you want those folks to know about referring patients with IBD to physical therapy? I'll just start with my experience has been that a lot of IBD patients have to hurry up and wait. You know, Mm. it it takes forever to get the diagnosis after the signs and symptoms have been going on for a while. And then it takes an additional forever to actually start a treatment. And then it usually takes a couple more months for that treatment to start working. And I mean, a medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the main takeaway I would like physicians to know is that there are pain management tools out there that don't have to be medication related that we can help with in the meantime. Mm. So this could be a bridge almost. I mean, I know I went through step therapy, for instance, myself. Right. So was waiting for a while for my nurse to fight it out with my insurance company to Mm -hmm. get what I needed. So what if I had gotten a referral to a physical therapist and had maybe gotten some of the pain issues addressed? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people that have chronic 
inflammation typically have a greater incidence of pain and fatigue and depression. And, Mm -hmm. and I think um, we, we therapists just think so much in terms of function, whereas I get it, if you're a GI, you're focused on the person's labs, and, and it, it, and it is a different focus, but there's Mm -hmm. so many improvements in quality of life and function um, that we can offer patients. I wonder if either of you has any funny stories, any embarrassing stories, <laughs> anything that you can share. Let's not violate any HIPAA laws or anything like that. But uh, anything that you can tell me about <laughs> the world of physical therapy from your experience. Oh, I can say twice within the last year, I've had some elderly little ladies come in for pelvic physical therapy with their shorts and their tennis shoes ready to exercise. And when they were given the information at the front desk that explains what pelvic PT is and, you know, I, and we meet and go through the history and I start explaining the exam. They're just completely flabbergasted. <laughs> and I had one that um, said she was just sure that that's not what her doctor had in mind and she <laughs> had to leave. And, and of course, you know, she called her doctor and her doctor said, yeah, that's why I'm sending you there. <laughs> she did come back. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> Well, so let me ask you this, though, then, because, okay, somebody's sending you for physical floor therapy. I feel like you should be given a little bit of a heads up as to what's going to happen when you get there, right? I mean, uh, ideally, and, you know, we have, in my institution, we have put together a very comprehensive what to expect brochure handout, and we communicate with our referral sources and and try and get them to give that out to people. But, you know, I think sometimes if it's a busy day in the office, they might forget. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, 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 people do fall through the cracks and come in not knowing what it, what what it's all about. Oh, goodness. And that's okay. You know, it's all right. We do, I always start my spiel by telling people that we don't do anything without their express consent. And mm-hmm. they have the right to, they have the right to not consent and they have the right to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an important point. Patients always mm-hmm. have that right to mm-hmm. refuse anything that's going on or to make their wishes known um, about that. But that I think that also tells you that those two gals were not Googling anything before they went in to see you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which might be good. And this is like making it not as funny, but I, I do think that goes back to things that we want GIs and rheumatologists to know is that when you refer to physical therapy, make sure the patient understands there's an internal exam involved because like you said, the running shoes aren't going to be of much help at that initial evaluation. Well, I mean, the one she ran out of there, so she needed right. those shoes at that point. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Nancy, Christy, thank you so much for opening my eyes about this because I really was not thinking beyond my own, you know, issues, like I said, from an injury and then receiving Mm -hmm. some physical therapy. But there is so much more that you are doing. And thank you so much for what you're doing for patients 
it is really clearly needed, and I think a lot of patients are very interested in non-pharmacological ways to treat their pain and the other symptoms that they're experiencing, and you guys are presenting a great option that I hope more patients take advantage of. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Nancy Coulinan and Christy Morgan for sharing their knowledge and experience of how physical therapy can benefit people who live with an IBD. This is a growing area of interest, and I really look forward to learning more and helping connect patients to resources. With that in mind, links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 117 page on aboutibd.com. As always, you can follow me, Amber Tresca, across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. I love this idea, the bowel realm. I made a note that you said the bowel realm. I'm, I'm going to use that. I don't know how. Just another day in my life. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs>